Well, last week I spoke to you about uh, a very short series that I began. Uh, it's going to be about things that people attribute to God and to the Bible that neither God nor the Bible says. Uh, things we look at, like cleanliness is next to godliness, right? Where's that in the Bible again? Oh yeah, First Maccabee three eight or something like that. Um, so I'm looking specifically at things that people will often say in conversation, and they will say, "It's kind of like I talked to you last week about how Ray Barone on Everybody Loves Raymond said, well, Bible and the Jesus said, blessed are the nice.'" Sounds good, except for God never said that. Well, last week I looked specifically at one of the things that people say often, which is, God wants me to be happy. And we looked at that specifically, and if you weren't here for that, you can get that from the sound department. But today I want to look at what I believe is one of the, perhaps, one of the biggest misbeliefs about God that is espoused very regularly, and it will often lead people to a place of disappointment, out of their appointment in God, discouragement, and even despair, so much so that they will leave the faith. Now, uh, I need a little bit of help, so you guys are going to participate with me today by the raising of your hands. I have divided people into three groups, okay? And you're going to let me know by the raising of your hand which group you are in, okay? So everybody has to participate, all right? I haven't even given it yet. You shouldn't laugh yet, Kate, all right? Okay, so here's the first group. The first group is you're going through a difficult season in life right now. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Raise them high. I want to see. Come on. Proud. This is me. Me and I'm God up there. Okay, hands down. Second group, you're coming out of a difficult season in life. You've just come out of it. Okay, the rest of you who didn't raise your hands, would you raise your hands right now? Because you're heading for a difficult season in life. It's one of those. I mean, come on. Don't we all go through challenging times? Things happen that are hard, that leave us kind of like, oh, whoa. And how many of you have ever said, while you've been going through one of those times, I don't think I can take it anymore? Or maybe you said, I don't think I can take any more. Um, years ago, Karen and I, uh, I don't know if our kids were around back then. I don't remember those kind of details clearly. Um, <laughs> they all kind of mesh together. Uh, but Karen and I went to the state fair together. And we got on a ride. It's a simple ride. It's just it's a simple ride. You know, you just kind of go up, you go down. You know, you know, you know, the rides at the fair are not like whoa. They were just it was a it was a ride. We're on this ride, but the the interesting thing is the guy who ran the ride left while we were on the ride. And the ride that started out kind of enjoyable, you know, it's kind of like you. It was the pirate ship. You know what the pirate ship is, right? You go up and you go down. Up and it was kind of like, oh, this is kind of nice. It's relaxing. You got like a little bit of a shade as you go up because 
the people up top, you block the sun. So it was kind of nice for a while. But I have to tell you, after a little bit of time, everybody's like, okay, I'm done with this. I need a break. And then we all said, I can't take it anymore. I don't find myself struggling too much with motion sickness or that kind of stuff. But I mean, if you are on the same motion again and again and again, and again after a while, anybody can start to feel it. And we all said, I don't think I can take it anymore. Well, if you've ever been in a life situation where you find it very challenging and you're wondering if you can't take it anymore and you're sharing with friends, what will often happen is well-meaning Christians will begin to open up their arsenal of amazing Christian platitudes. Things that I'm sure they mean to encourage you. Things like, well, God will never close a door, but that He opens a window. Well, I'm sorry, I've just lost something that matters a lot to me. This doesn't feel much like a window to me. Or they'll say things like this, you just need to trust God that it'll all work out okay in the end. I am trusting God. I trusted God that it would work out, and it didn't work out. Or, I love this one, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. Yeah, I might come through it, but I might come through it dead. But here is my favorite one, and the one I want to talk to you about today. This is the one I hear probably said the most, and I hear it said by you. Because I suspect almost every one of you in this room have said it. And that's this. Well, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Anybody ever said that to you? You ever said it to anybody? Here's the problem with that quote. <laughs> Kate says, not anymore, I won't. <laughs> Here's the problem with that quote. Not only did God not say it, I don't think it's true. In fact, I think the truth is closer to the opposite of that quote. So that's what I want us to look at. That quote, by the way, is most often attributed. If you have your Bibles, just turn there real quick, or if you have your phone with your app or something like that, uh, to 1 Corinthians 10.13. I'm going to actually put it up there so that you can see it in case you guys were heathens and you didn't bring your Bibles. <laughs> you sit in the front. I get to pick on you. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be, what's that word? Tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, Please hear me. It's important that you don't put words in the Bible's mouth. It's important that you don't try to make the Bible say something it doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say God won't give you more than you can handle. The Bible, in this particular context, is talking about temptation to sin. In fact, the Greek word that's used there is the word that is used for a snare or a trap that is set for an animal. And he says, God won't allow that trap to come. In fact, if, if I could reword the Bible in this particular portion just a little bit for right this few seconds, 
it would be this. No temptation of the enemy is irresistible, but that God will give you a way of escape. There is nothing that the enemy can throw your way as a temptation to sin that is more than what God gives you grace to resist. He's not talking about challenges and struggles in life. That's not the context. In fact, if you think about it, when people say things like, God will never give you more than what you can handle, I want to ask them, have you ever read the Bible? I mean, think about the people in the Bible. Did God not give them things that were more than what they could handle? God comes along to a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham was old. He was old. He was older than me, and that's pretty old. And God says, I'm going to make of you a nation that's so great that your descendants are going to exceed the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach. Abraham's old and he doesn't have any kids. There's no way he could fulfill that. Or think about Gideon. Gideon is the other Gideon. Gideon is threshing grain, hiding from the enemy, and an angel appears to him and says, Behold, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon looks at him and says, Who are you talking to? And he says, I'm going to use you to deliver your people from the Midianites. And Gideon says, Don't you know who I am? I come from the smallest tribe in Israel. In fact, we're not even a whole tribe. We're a half tribe. We come from the half tribe of Manasseh. And my clan is the smallest clan within this smallest half tribe. And my family is the smallest family within the smallest clan of the smallest tribe of Israel. I don't have what it takes. Or God comes to a guy by the name of Moses and says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people, and I want you to go and speak to the king of Egypt. And Moses says, but I'm not a good speaker. I, I don't have what it takes. Or he says to Esther, perhaps I put you in the kingdom for such a time as this. And she says, yes, but I'm afraid. Or King David. I mean, sometimes we feel like things are more than we can handle because of our own doing. Because of our own failures, our own sins. David fell in sin with Bathsheba. And this is what he says in Psalm 38. Psalm 38. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. So he's, he's taking the responsibility here. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are full of inflammation, and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. All through the Bible, God gave people tasks, things that they were called to that were more than what they could handle. Even Paul the Apostle at one point says in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he says, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength 
that we despaired of our very life. And in the next verse, in verse 9, he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. All through the Bible, even Jesus himself was overwhelmed. In Mark 14, he says, He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to him, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. God never said he wouldn't give you more than you could handle. In fact, for those of you that are under a weight of pressure right now, you're facing things that feel like they're too big. Like something is beyond your ability to manage. I feel like this word is for you. Even as I was writing it this week, as I was writing this particular message, I found out that one of my nephews who is in his 20s, who has struggled with drugs and alcohol, is currently in ICU. He's in really hard shape. They don't know if he'll even make it. And this week on Tuesday, my wife and I will be flying down to Charlotte, North Carolina, in order to, sorry, I almost said Charlotte, because I get used to our Charlotte. Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, in order just to spend time with my sister, his mother, and to be with them and to pray and to believe God for a miracle. But the family dynamics are more than what I can handle. Just in the texting, it was enough for me to think, okay, I don't want to do this. And then this week we found out that another one of my nephews who is even younger uh, has passed away. And because he and his side is all estranged from the rest of the family. We didn't even know it until Karen happened to find it in an obituary online. Uh, it's been a rough week. And then today I celebrate the, uh, the passing of my own father, uh, who's been gone for 21 years, but it feels like it was just yesterday. There are times when God gives us stuff that's more than what we can manage. He really does. And what that does is it raises a question, which is kind of, for me, the title of my message, if anything. The title of my message would be, Why God? Why? Have, have you ever been honest enough to ask God questions? Like, God, I don't understand. What's this about? I believe the Bible actually points out a couple of reasons for why God actually allows things into our lives that are more than what we can manage. And that's what I want to look at very briefly today. Number one, he wants to teach you to depend upon his presence. Um, <clears throat> have you ever noticed that when things are going really, really well for you, it's almost easy to forget about God? Have you ever found yourself going through a whole day when everything seems to go well, and suddenly, at some point later in the day, you realize, wait a minute, I never even gave God one thought today. Never even talked to Him, because everything was going so well. It's, it's kind of like you think in your mind, yeah, God, I know you're there, you're always there, you promised to never leave me nor forsake me. But God, everything's going okay right now. So as long as you got my back, I'm okay, you're okay, let's just keep going. It's only when things start to get rough it's like when everything is hunky-dory and peachy keen. When everything is raining 
unicorns and rainbows. I don't need God. I'm okay. But when things get a bit mucky, when things get hard, I find myself saying, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. I find that when things are hard is when I cry out to God. Um, I think of this a little bit like flying. How, how many of you have ever had the joy of flying? On a plane, I mean? <laughs> I know, some of your history, come on. Okay. It's, it's a weird thing if you think about it. Here you are, you paid good money to get a ticket to sit in this metal tube that somehow is thrust 30,000 feet into the sky and you hope that everything goes well and everything goes smooth and that you land on time in the right place in intact. That everything's okay. Um, you think about a flight that you've taken. Um, you, you get on the flight and they go through all of the preliminaries ahead of time telling you how to buckle your seatbelt and I can never hear it without thinking about Tommy Boy and how he says if you can't buckle it, maybe you shouldn't even be alive and breathing or something like that. Um, but either way, they go through all the preliminaries. The plane takes off. It's going smoothly. They say you can unbuckle. You can use the bathroom now if you want. And then they push down the cart with your pretzels and your sodas, and everything's going smoothly. And you land, and you get off. And honestly, everything was great. That's what you expected. But have you ever had, not the joy of flying, have you ever had the terror of flying? You know, th that's the one where you, you pay a lot of money for this ticket and you're ready to go to China. You get on the plane, and while you're on the plane waiting, they say, I'm sorry, we've got a problem. And although you're in the line to take off, we have a slight problem and we have to wait. And you wait and you wait, and it's getting hotter and hotter, and you have to go to the bathroom and they won't let you get up. And finally, they make an announcement that we have a slight maintenance problem, and you've noticed that there are guys out crawling on the wing outside your window. And you're wondering what in the world they're doing. And finally, they crawl down off of the wing, they leave, and the pilot gets over the announcement and says, good news, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to take, take off, and everything is going well, we fixed our problem. And so they get in line and they start to speed up and you're going up and the whole time you're watching the wing carefully like your observation is going to make any difference to the safety of that wing. <clears throat> but you finally take off and everything is going good and they finally say you can go ahead and let your seatbelts off and you go to the bathroom, you come back, the air comes on, everything's going a little bit better. They push the cart down the aisle and you're in the back of the plane because you've done your research and you find out that the back of the plane is the safer place if there's ever going to be a crash. So you're sitting in the back and you're watching that cart make its way down the aisle and you're waiting because you're thirsty and you want some pretzels. And then all of a sudden, you notice that they push the cart back. 
You think, what's going on? And then an announcement comes and it says, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to experience some uh, significant turbulence. I ask you to please buckle up safely and I remind you of all the safety precautions we gave you at the beginning. And your heart leaps. And then you start to feel a little turbulence. And then a little more. And then this is like, and I don't know if you've ever had this, I have. This is like a roller coaster ride where you're being thrown around the heavens by you don't know what. It's got to be the devil. And everything is going wrong that you can imagine. And it is so bad that one of the luggage compartments, the door swings open and luggage starts falling out. This is like airplane over again. It's bad. And... You know, the first flight that you were on, where everything went well, you probably, when you got on, you probably said some kind of prayer like, God, keep us safe. And when you land, you said, thank you, God. But if you're honest, you got what you expected. You expected to take off. You expected to land. You expected everything to go with. So your prayer was at best perfunctory. But on this flight from hell, you're praying seriously. And you don't care who hears you. You are praying. You're pleading the blood. You're speaking in tongues. And you don't care who hears. You're making sure you're ready to meet your maker just in case. And the person next to you who has already let you know through that long delay that they're not Christians and they're not interested in it, they reach over and they grab your hands and says, listen, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in prayer, but as long as you're praying, would you please say a prayer for me? And when you finally get off the plane, you bend down, you kiss the ground, and you have a worship service. When things get tough, you get serious. You get serious about finding God in the midst of your challenging situation. It's amazing how when life gets difficult and scary, all of a sudden, people are drawn to the reality and presence of the living God. Now, why would God allow us to go through things that are more than what we can handle? I think one of the reasons is so that we would realize how desperately we need his presence. We need it every day. Just sometimes when things are going well, we kind of forget about it. We think we got it under control. I don't need him as much. The psalmist put it like this in Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? And you have to know that for the psalmist to be asking that question, he's probably going through a hard time. Where does my help come from? And you know it as well as I do. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We see this same truth in the Old Testament story of Jonah. You guys know the story of Jonah, right? Jonah has a call from God and he is to go to a people that he doesn't like. And he says to God, God, no way. To quote my grandson, no way. I'm not doing it. Uh Uh-uh. And he gets on what he thinks is the love boat, captained by Captain Steubing, I think it was, and he's making his way to Tarshish. But when he gets on the boat that he thinks is a love boat, after a little while, he realizes it's not the love boat at all. It's the SS Minnow. And when strong winds begin to hit and they're in trouble, Skipper throws him overboard. And if that's not bad enough, he gets swallowed by a big fish. I got to tell you, that's a rough day for anybody. 
Listen to what Jonah prays from the belly of that great fish. Jonah, and it's in chapter 2 if you care, verse 2. He says, I called to the Lord in my distress. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, I called to the Lord in my success, because in his success he didn't need him. I got this under control. I called to the Lord in my distress. You see, when you have success, you forget about God. When you have distress, you tend to remember God. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me from the depths of my watery grave. I cried for help, and you heard my cry. Verse 7, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. Here's the rub for most of us. When you find that you get yourself in a rough situation, you tend to say, why, God? Or you say, where's God? You begin to wonder about his presence. And I want to suggest to you that even in the midst of the storm, never let the presence of the storm confuse you about the presence of the Lord. God is with you, even in the storm. Yeah, but God, I prayed and I asked you to help me, and you didn't. Why not? I asked you to help my children. Why didn't you? I asked you to help my marriage. Why didn't you? Never doubt the presence of the Lord while in the presence of a storm. God is still with you. The psalmist put it this way. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. Some of you right now might be in the midst of a storm. You're in the midst of a challenging situation. And I want to say to you, this storm is not intended by God to destroy you. But one of the byproducts of this storm could be, if you're willing, that you actually call out to God. You cry out to God in your distress. You find that the presence of God is even in the midst of the furnace. He's even in the storm. And He is the only one who can manage the storm and speak calm to the wind and the waves. Why would God allow you to experience more than you can handle? I can tell you from personal experience that when things are not going the way I want them to go, that's when I get especially passionate in my prayers. That's when I get really serious about seeking God. That's when I say, God, I can't make it without you. I know that you can experience God on the mountaintop. I know you can. But I have to tell you, most times I've experienced God the most significantly in the valleys. In the valleys of fear and confusion and disappointment when I didn't understand what was going on in the valley of sorrow. I have found myself crying out to God this week again and again and saying, God, it's not right. You did not save my dad and you did not save my family for a generation to die so young. It's not right, God. I cry out to God in the valley of confusion and sorrow. And the truth is we all face that at times. Every one of us here face confusion and sorrow at times. But we must never forget that we're not alone. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. That's 
my word to some of you today. As I was preparing, I specifically was praying, and I felt like the Lord said, there's somebody here who needs to hear, God is still with you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't left you. And what you're going through is an opportunity for you to cry out to God. So the first reason why sometimes hard things happen is so that we can remember the presence of God. The second one is to teach us that you need to experience and walk in his power. You need not only his presence, you need his power. <clears throat> the scripture that I read from 2 Corinthians, where Paul was talking about facing things that were bigger than what he could manage, and he despaired of life itself, he goes on in verse 9 and he says the reason for that challenge was this. To make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God will give you more than you can handle in order that you can know the power is his, not yours. Only God can do it. Now, <clears throat> most of us were raised with the idea that we start as a little baby and we need everything. Everything is about that little baby. Uh, Andy was talking about his new granddaughter and how his next older granddaughter in the same family loves to take care of her. Well, when a baby is a born, when a baby's born, a baby needs everything. A baby needs total care. They can't do anything for themselves. But as that baby grows, as parents, we teach that baby that they can do some things by themselves. They can pick up their blocks and put them away. They can put their toys away. They can actually use their own fork and feed themselves. And we teach them to become more and more independent as people. And it's our hope that in time they will grow up and become mature enough that they can actually live their own life without mommy and daddy having to take care of them all the rest of their life. That they will actually move out of our house and live a life. <clears throat> um, the problem is this. We can so cultivate that into our kids that we can leave them with the impression that you should always be able to manage everything yourself. Don't call on me anymore. You're a grown-up. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, cut mommy's apron strings, and man up. I wonder how many euphemisms I've used today, by the way. Um, <laughs> here's the problem with that. Every one of us needs help sometimes. Let me say it again. Every single one of you and me need help sometimes. We can't manage it alone. Sometimes, even if you're a grown-up, you still need your mom and your dad. You still need help. You need others to help you. And when you take that same independence... I can do it myself kind of attitude, and you translate that into your faith, that can be a really hard thing. You know, when, when we became Christians, we needed everything. We didn't know anything. I didn't know the Bible. I, I didn't know anything about this Christianity or how to live life for God. I didn't know. I needed help. I needed pastors and mentors and mothers and fathers in the faith. 
But if you walk with God long enough, you can begin to develop the attitude that I don't need them anymore. I take care of myself. We call them self-feeders. And there's some good to that. There really is. People should be able to read God's Word and receive nourishment to their own soul. But that never means that we always can do it ourselves. Sometimes we need help. We need help from one another. But we also need God's help. We need His presence and we need His power if we're going to affect what He calls us to. We were raised to think, I can do this myself. And when you add to it what we talked about, which is God says I should be able to handle this because He will never give me more than I can handle, then pretty soon we get the idea, I can't even ask God because God expects me to handle this. I shouldn't need God's help. I should be able to just do this myself. I shouldn't have to bother Him. I should be smart enough. I should be strong enough. I should be able to just do this myself. And I want to say to you, that's not true. You were not created with enough power to do everything yourself. Even Jesus Himself, it says, He did all that He did in the power of the Spirit. If even the Son of God needed help, how much more do we? We were created to need God, to be desperate for His presence, and to be desperate for His power. The Apostle Paul lived with this reality in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, but he talks about a problem that he faced that was significant. In fact, he names the problem. He calls the problem a thorn in my flesh. This thorn, whatever it was, and there's been all kinds of debate. Some people think it was because he had bad eyes. Other things he had, you know, some kind of other issue, whatever. But whatever it was, it was bad enough. It was hard enough. It was more than what Paul could manage. And the Scripture says that he called out to God for deliverance from this problem. Not once, not twice, but three times. And the word that's used there in the Greek doesn't imply like passing prayers. It says seasons of intense beseeching. That's what this is about. Seasons, long times where he would call out to God, can't you deliver me from this? And it was still there. And I want to suggest to you that if you've walked with God long enough, you're going to experience some thorn somewhere. Something that you have been crying out to God for help with, something you've cried out for deliverance for, and it's still there. Paul experienced that. Why won't you remove this? Why won't you help me? And this is what God said to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. <clears throat> he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, and by the way, this is one of the verses that is most often quoted wrong. It was quoted wrong in our prayer last week. It doesn't say, when I am weak, then he is strong. He's always strong. It says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? 
because I recognize my weakness and my utter need for God's power. That's where strength comes from. To know that I am dependent upon His power, not upon my own strength. Every time I stand up here, there's, I, I can't even imagine there's a Sunday morning. I couldn't remember one if I tried. Every single time I stand up here in front of you, I feel the weakness of my own flesh. I hear in my own mind the, you can't do it. Refrain. It just plays over and over like a record in my mind. Who do you think you are? What makes you think you have anything worth anything for anybody to take their hour to listen to? Not that I am speaking an hour. <clears throat> All of that plays into my mind. And here's my temptation. Number one, you know that when I stand up here, how many of you are tired today, by the way? Tired? Didn't get enough sleep? You wanted to sleep a little longer today? Yeah. Me too. My wife came and she woke me up. I don't want to wake up. Well, you've got to. I don't want to. you got to get up. No. I'm a grown-up. I can choose for myself. I'm tired sometimes when I stand up here, just like you. You guys at least can sleep while I'm preaching. I can't. <laughs> sometimes, uh, sometimes I'm discouraged. This has been, honestly, a hard week. It really has. Sometimes, when I stand up here, I haven't handled my week very well. I haven't done so good this week. Sometimes I haven't handled my relationship with my wife well. And I feel disqualified. I remember so often, every time I stand up here, I remember Brother Veach. Some of you guys will remember Brother George Veach telling me how many times over the years he would stand up to the pulpit to speak, he would put his hands on the pulpit, and he would pause and he would go down and whisper to his wife and say, I'm sorry, can we talk about this later? I feel all of that stuff. And my choice is this. I can quit and run, or I can say, God, the power's not of me, the power's of you. That's what this is about. And it's the same for you. It's not about how good you are, how smart you are, how rich you are, how powerful you are. It's about, are you willing to admit you need him? You need his presence and you need his power. I don't know, and this is the analogy that I felt the Lord gave me. I felt like somebody here has been rowing for a long time, so long that you have blisters on your hands. You have been struggling trying to do it because you think God expects you to do it. And it's not been going well. And I felt like the Lord is saying, it's time to stop rowing and start sailing. It's time for you to actually look to him for his power. He's not expecting you to do it yourself. He's not putting it upon you. You were not created to do life on your own. Instead of saying, I've got to be strong because God told me I should be able to handle this. No, he didn't say that. God says you need me. You need my presence and you need my power. Sometimes God gives you more than you can handle. Now, I don't, when I say God gives you, I don't mean necessarily that God creates the situations. 
But I think God's awfully good at redeeming and using situations. And He's willing for that situation to be more than what you can handle so that you will know how much you need Him. So that you will draw near to the Lord. So that you will cry out to Him. And then that you will know that only His power is enough. You can't do it on your own. My final statement to you this morning, and then I'm ending, is this. God will give us more than we can handle. But it's never more than He can handle. Alright? God will give us more than we can handle. But it's never more than He can handle. You can trust God. Okay. At the beginning, I actually started off by dividing you into three groups. Those who have just come out of something that's really challenging and hard, those who are just about to go into it, or those that are in the midst of it already right now. That's all of you. So with that in mind, knowing we all face this stuff, I'm going to ask if you would just stand. Rather than ask if this specifically applies to you, the truth is, I believe it applies to all of us. If you would just stand. I'm going to ask, I know that uh, in... In every service, there are some people here who, they, they just like to enter in. They're going to go for it no matter what's asked of them. There's other people who say, no, I'm a thinking human being. I don't have to do anything you ask me to do. I don't have to do anything. I'll do, do it if I feel like it. Good. God bless you. <laughs> if you're willing, I'm going to ask you if you would, just to hold your hands like this. Just as a way of saying, God, I need you. My hands are open to receive of your presence and your power. I need you. I'm not sufficient. I need the Lord. I need God for your presence to come near to me. I need to feel you in the midst of this storm. I need to know that you care, that you haven't forgotten me. That's what the disciples said in the midst of the storm. They said, don't you care that we're perishing? God, I'm raising my hands to you because I know you do care. And then I know you have all power. I need your power. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would take this word that uh, I have brought today with all of its imperfections and its own limitations and weaknesses. But I know that those weaknesses and limitations do not limit or cause you to be weak. I ask you to take those words, plant them deep within our hearts, that God, actually our life is bigger than what we can manage. And that's how you created it. So that we would call upon the name of the Lord. Even as Jonah did. As Abraham did. As Gideon did. As Esther did. As Moses did. As David did. As Paul did. As even the Son of God Himself did. That we would call upon the name of our Savior. And then your word tells us, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God, we call upon you in your holy name. Let us be aware of your presence and let your power flow through us for this situation that we can become sons and daughters of the living God in truth and in deed. Lord, let faith arise within us that we can trust that you are and that you reward those who diligently seek you. 
let your hand rest upon each one. Your presence and your power be our portion. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Have a great rest of your day.